Hello, my darlings. It is me, your favourite internet mum, Clementine Ford, here with Dear Clementine on the Nova Podcast Network. We have a great question lined up for you today. I'm recording on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Remember, wherever you are, know whose land you're on. Let's get into it. Dear Clementine, as an Australian who lives in Berlin, I have come face to face with my use of the word guys. It's become an important topic among women in my city. I've consciously been trying to avoid using it, and it's easy in text, but since it's been a part of my vocabulary all my life, sometimes it slips out while I'm speaking. If I'm in the company of women who don't speak English as a first language, I usually apologise because I know for them it can be quite triggering. It usually starts a discussion, which I think is always the best way to address it. My question for you is, where do you stand on the word and what is the future of its use in Australia? I feel like my answer to this question will reveal my age, in that I'm 42 years old, definitely and distinctly in middle age, and I am trying to remember, or I'm I'm going to be generous in my answer, in remembering the kinds of conversations that I had when I was young and ferociously political about every single little thing. And I think that ferocious political beliefs are brilliant. I love seeing women who really get into the nuts and bolts of things, who love to drill down into stuff. And I I think that there's nothing, I certainly don't want to say, oh my God, there's so many more important things to worry about because it's dismissive. It's not just dismissive of people's feelings on things, but it's also dismissive of obviously the fact that we can hold multiple ideas in our head at once. But it's dismissive also of the importance of what it is to have these kinds of discussions in your feminist friendship circles and to, as you said, like have, you know, really kind of establish what it is that you think as a person and bounce ideas off of each other. All of these things are really, really great and beneficial and they don't detract from the overarching feminist movement. So that's my disclaimer for what I'm about to say now which is that for me personally, whilst I theoretically understand the concern with the blanket use of words like guys to address a gender neutral, uh, to use it as a gender neutral term to address an entire group, I also sort of don't really care. And partly I don't care because that word is also ingrained in my vocabulary. Now I know that we can change words because there are words that I no longer use that, you know, back in the 90s when I was a teenager, were just so deeply ingrained as as normal. And there are words that are no longer acceptable in society to use now that people would really shudder to hear that once upon a time, and not all that long ago, really, were just considered normal. I'm not going to repeat them now. I'm sure you can imagine what they are. It is possible for each and every one of us to train ourselves out of doing things and using certain words. And I think we could very easily train ourselves out of addressing a group of people as guys. When I say that I think that there are more important things to worry about, I don't mean that you should never have these conversations. I do think that using a word like triggering to describe the impact of using a word like that and whether or not you've been told by people this is triggering to me or that's a word that you've you've used independently because the word triggering and triggered has become so absorbed in, in how we talk about having any kind of response to anything. I just want to talk about that for a second rather than the guys thing. The word triggered in terms of how it creates a physical response in someone is specifically related to PTSD. 
it is a physical response associated with trauma. And it actually does have gravitas and meaning. When we talk about having a an uncomfortable response to something or just being annoyed by something or just not liking something and saying that's triggered me, we're really diminishing the intensity of that word and, and the experience of being triggered and we're diluting what it means. If we're talking about being conscious of the language that we use, we can start by being really careful about overusing words like triggered, gaslighting. I mean, I I have to work on the gaslighting one myself. It's so easy to just apply that word to every single thing. But again, if we dilute the meanings of words that are used to apply to, to specific and serious things, then words themselves become meaningless. And then we threaten our ability to articulate what trauma actually is. And I think that that is something that is harmful and we should be aware of. Is it triggering to be called guys? I think that you could argue that uh, if you have gender dysphoria or if you've experienced gender dysphoria or if you encounter transphobia in the world, if you're a trans woman, absolutely, I would say that you you could be triggered by being referred to as a guy. But cis women being triggered by being called guys... I don't buy that. I think that we can be annoyed. I think that we can be pissed off. I think that we can we can even say, I don't want to be called that. We can't be triggered by it. There's nothing in the experience of being called guys as a collective term that could possibly have created PTSD in us to result in being triggered. I'm getting sidetracked on this particular word. I actually agree that it would be wonderful for us to not use a term that is whose default position is understood to be masculine, and I'm putting like little air quotes around that now, to refer to a gender-neutral collective. Of course that would be beneficial because women have been absorbed into men's humanity for, for fucking all of history, and we are still trying to be respected as an entity that has subjectivity of our own, that has an identity of our own, and that also exists and constructs reality for ourselves without without being, once again, kind of collectively drawn into the group. And you wouldn't refer to a gender-neutral group as girls or gals or anything remotely, air quote, feminine. And people would object to that and they would say, that's really weird, why are you doing that? So it is worth having these kind of intellectual discussions and theoretical sort of explorations of things and maybe even being a little bit, you know, provocative in your own spaces and trying to replace the word guys with girls just to prove a point. If it's important to you and if it's important to the people who you're spending time with, then it's worth trying to unlearn the use of the word in yourself. You could replace guys with folks, friends, gang, pals. There's any number of gender-neutral terms that relate to a group of people that is not in any way gendered. And it's really easy once you start that practice to be able to do it and to continue doing it. And as I said, if it's important to the people that you're spending time with, then why not put in the work to do it? It doesn't take anything away from you from learning and growing and changing. And it's actually quite exciting to think that we could change our verbal patterns. I think that people should rise to the challenge of that. But if you slip and you say, guys, all it really requires in that effort is for you to say, whoops, I mean pals. If anyone wants to make a point of it beyond that, I think they're trying to have an argument for an argument's sake. Because one of the things that we also need to confront about 
feminist circles is that it feels often productive to have arguments with each other about relatively minor shit that actually is not structurally changing anything. And it feels productive because so often we as feminists feel helpless and we feel undermined and we feel overwhelmed at the enormity of this task that is still in front of us. Of course, we're going to go to the easy route of having having the opportunity to kind of flex our intellectual muscles and prove a point that makes us feel like we've really done our feminist diligence for the day. And sometimes it is worth stepping back and going, is this the fight that I need to have right now? Is this really, in in as much as you as the person saying guys can just correct yourself quickly and say, whoops, I mean friends, the other person can also step back and go, oh, do I really need to make a big deal about this? Or, Or could I just say, I think you meant to say friends, pal. There are lots of different ways that we can handle these kinds of conflict. And I think we need to be more honest with ourselves and each other about whether or not we're coming to, particularly with our friends, are we coming to a discussion in good faith or are we coming to a discussion to prove how smart we are and to prove how much better we are at feminism? So my stance on the word guys is that, yes, absolutely, it would be great to get rid of it. It's not my biggest issue in the world. There are certainly things that I prioritise and care about more, but that doesn't mean that I can't, again, rise to the challenge of correcting myself each time I catch myself doing it. And I know that the habit will be quick forming and pretty soon I will stop using it entirely. When I do events, I often say guys, gals and non-binary pals because that covers everybody. And being conscious about using inclusive language is not just empathetic and kind, but it's a step forward for humanity and society. It costs us nothing to make everyone feel welcome. But this doesn't need to be the barricade that you fight your last stand on. It's minor, really, in the grand scheme of things. And again, I'm not saying dismiss it entirely or say, oh my God, what a silly thing to worry about. But don't get too distracted by having endless conversations about this one particular issue. And that is time that could be more wisely spent, in my opinion. You may disagree, and that's fine. That is what the beauty of feminist discussion is all about. And speaking of guys, we have a beautiful update. Now, if you've listened to the past episodes, you may remember a question that came in from a young man who was holding on to a secret for his father. You can go back and listen to this episode. It's series two, episode 22. And this young man said to us that he had 10 years ago discovered that his father had had a potentially one-off extramarital affair and his father was expecting him to keep the secret to protect the mother. And the son was really chewed up about this because he felt an obligation, as he should, to his mother. And he also felt like his father was enlisting him in some kind of duplicity and he wanted my advice. I said to him that it's not his responsibility to hold onto that secret for his dad. You can go back and you can listen to the advice that I gave him. But essentially I said it wasn't his responsibility to hold onto that secret for his father and his father was expecting him to prioritize patriarchal connection over his love for his mother. Here is the update and it's wonderful. He said, hello again. Essentially, I told my father that due to my responsibility to my mother, I can't have a genuine relationship with him as I still feel part of his secret, that I believe that my mum has a right to know, but it's not my place to tell her. I said that she's stronger than he thinks and can take the pain of it, and that they may have a stronger relationship afterwards based on honesty and equality. Pretty much immediately after I told him this, he said that I was right and he would tell her everything. And he did. 
Well, what a surprise. My mum was more annoyed that my dad was still hanging on to this 10 years later than the fact that it happened. She forgave him and she even shared with him that she too has had many affairs. Which just goes back to what you were saying about partnerships needing to talk about avoiding staleness instead of pretending that everything is fine. I feel so happy and I'm proud and amazed at both of my parents having the emotional maturity to listen to the other one without losing their shit. A massive thank you to you, Clementine. Without you, who knows, this heavy secret may have gone to the grave without being released. That is... So beautiful and so wonderful. And I love hearing that this progress has been made. And I also love that there was this demonstration, not just to you, but between your parents, that relationships need to be constantly checked in on. They need to be nurtured. They need to be taken care of. And that resting on our laurels of just being partnered and having children for years, maybe, it's not enough. People have desires, they have needs, and the needs may not even just be sexual. They just need to be seen and they need to be noticed. And it's really good to have those conversations with each other. What a great outcome for your parents and also a really wonderful outcome for you because now you don't need to feel weird around your dad. You can go back to building a relationship with him and he can work to make amends with you for having asked you to be a part of that secret, but he's made it clear that he's willing to do that and he's willing to have the courage to stand up to his responsibilities, not just as a partner, but also as a father. I love that. If you have had a question answered on Dear Clementine and you would like to update us on the outcome, please email us on dearclementine at novapodcasts.com.au. If you have a question as well, you can send an email to that same email, dearclementine at novapodcasts.com.au, and we will try to fix some of the strife in your life. Until next time, I hope this podcast has found you well. Yours sincerely, Clementine.